0: This is my journey. Inspired one story at a time, a library of leaders was created. It began as a journey to learn. As time went on, it began to grow. All it needed was a platform, and this podcast was created. To listen, to inspire, to share. I am a storyteller, and this is my journey. Welcome to another episode of Profiles in Leadership. I'm your host, Steve Anderson, and today's guest is Mike Horsfield. Mike is just, oh my gosh, Mike is just a passionate guy. He really believes in what he does. He's He gets excited about what he does. He's just one of those guys that you can just feel the vibe coming off him that uh, he's going to do great things in the world. He's been very active in the private practice section of the American Physical Therapy Association, he served on the COVID-19 task force, which did amazing things for private practitioners to try and help them get through this uh, crisis, uh, trying to manage a, a com- their companies through this pandemic. And he's also built just an amazing company called Rock Valley Physical Therapy, which is in Iowa and Illinois. He's just an amazing leader. He's put together a team that is uh, is incredible. They work so well together. They really enjoy each other and uh they're looked at uh, nationally as being one of the the real uh premier practices in the country a real gold standard if you will and it's because mike just um, you know you can just feel it he he's just got this this heart and this uh intellect and and uh, putting it all together and he's just someone that uh uh is just very admired uh throughout the nation he's also running for the private practice sections uh president uh role the, this fall so he's looking forward to that, and uh, he just continues to uh, lead his company through tough times in this uh, pandemic, and uh, now with a little bit of a resurgence of COVID cases in the state of Iowa, he's going to be tested even greater. It's interesting to hear how he kind of has the attitude or, or the uh, the mindset of uh, uh, of I told him he loves a train wreck, you know, where where he just you know he sees something, he steps in, he rolls up his sleeves, he gets excited. And uh, basically, he's just a really great leader that people uh, are, are willing to follow. I've also always been uh, inspired and amazed at uh, Mike's uh, uh, stamina, if you've ever seen him at a national conference. Uh, he's networking all the time, he's talking to everybody, he's sharing ideas, he's getting more ideas. Uh, he'll be up uh, later than most people, uh, networking, doing his thing, and at uh, 7 in the morning he'll be right down back at it, uh, ready to go again. So. Just a very energetic, uh, very caring, and a very skilled leader that we have today. So without further ado, let's just jump right in, and and I think you'll really enjoy this discussion I had with Mike Horsfield. Mike, welcome back to the program. Great to have you on today. It's good to be back, Steve. Now, uh, let's just talk about, gosh, you know, we're recording this in early September 2020. And uh, gosh, what a last six months it's been. Uh, you know, you're, you're leading a, a large company during a pandemic. Um, tell me about it. What what does, has it been absolutely crazy or have you, you know, what's, what's your experience been? You know, it is an experience it has been,
1: I guess. Maybe that's the best way to start, Steve. Um, you know, you you just never... You're never prepared for something like that. As far as like you know, it, what, we pulled up our uh, employee manual and our operations plan. We didn't have pandemic response in there, so maybe that's a failure on our part as leadership. But, but I think uh, what we what we did have was an amazing team um, that responded to it in ways that I couldn't be more proud of. Um, and I and I say that from the from the leadership team, uh, obviously that I work really closely with, but throughout the organization the um, the overwhelming response that we're in this together, and and what do we need to do, and everyone's willingness to make sacrifices um, uh, was was truly inspiring. And and to be honest with you, I feel bad. I've said this to people, and I feel bad saying it, but I absolutely loved it. Um,
0: yeah. And, and I, 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 well, I know you well enough to know you, you kind of like a train wreck. You're kind of like a train wreck leader. So uh, tell us about that. What, what is it that gets the juices going in that situation? Cause I'm not like that. I like, <laughs> I like things uh, calm and cool. And, and this is where it's going, but uh, you, you, you've had to step up in a crisis for sure.
1: Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's just, it's how I'm wired. Steve is i love, you know, I've I've tried to think about what are the as I've continued to grow um, in in my leadership is like trying to focus on what I truly enjoy. You know, as you get further into your career, you try to try to have more of the things you enjoy and less of the things you don't enjoy um, uh, occupy your day. And I think what I really enjoy is answering difficult questions that'll make a difference in people's lives with people that I truly enjoy to do it with. And so when i looked at what happened in this pandemic like it was it was a really interesting problem it was a difficult one one we'd never seen before and so that gets my juices going right away to kind of say okay let's dig into this let's let's ask the right questions and again, the team I have surrounded with me are some of my best friends and, and the people I love most in the world. And so, you know, I, that was already built in um, from the people I see patients with, to the team and the executive team. Like, you know, these are these are some great people that I just love doing it. So, I think it's tackling that, and it's part of it. Part of it has to go with, like, as you build an organization and you give up responsibilities and people start doing things better than you do. them, like, again, it's a little bit of a search for meaning and do they need me around here anymore? (laughs) You know, so some of this is completely selfish of, of just going, God, I felt like they needed me again. I felt like I, I, I had some relevance uh, in what was going on. So I, I think it's really, you know, I had to be in touch and I had to be honest with myself at that point of like, this is, this is serving me well. And I feel bad because so many people are been negatively impacted but this is what I'm wired to do. This is what I enjoy doing.
0: Yeah. I think that, uh, in, in a moment of, you know, it's, we could call it a leadership moment or, you know, a leadership crisis type of thing where people are going to look for somebody to really, um, you know, point the direction. And it's kind of like they're deer in the headlights sometimes. And so these are the times where leaders can, can really shine. And, and sometimes, uh, uh, people don't step up or they, they fall a little bit and, and that that's not good for the organization. But uh, uh, you, you know, I, I think it, it just puts us in a position where, okay, now's the time. If leadership is ever needed, it is now. And of course, it always helps when you have a, a dynamite team like you just described.
1: Yeah. And you have to lay the groundwork. I think that's, you know, to me, it's like going through maybe a health crisis too. Steve might be similar to people. Uh, maybe that's more too dramatic to use, but you know, if you've laid the foundation ahead of time, then you have the resilience to get through difficult times, right? You can't, you can't constantly be in crisis mode. And so that I think is a lot of the planning we've done and the growth and the leadership uh, development uh, through the years. Um, Like you got to see it pay its dividend. You got to see the result of that as you, you, You know, everyone put in the work that it needed to be ready to handle a situation like that. Not that we could ever anticipate it was going to be that crisis, but you know, you're always going to face some type of crisis, big or small, throughout uh, throughout the process as you as you grow.
0: Which is why you know, doing the little things in the day to day that you maybe don't seem that important or that um, you know uh, relevant at the time, but doing those little things and building over time. Uh, like you said, then you can take that withdrawal from the bank because you've put in a lot of deposits. So uh, uh, that that's really a very important piece. Yeah, it certainly
1: is, and I and that is I think that's part of culture. You know, when you talk about building culture, I've I've always struggled with defining that or measuring that. As you know, I like to measure everything that we do to know whether we're getting there. And you know, when you say, is your culture strong? Um, that's a really hard question to answer. Is if you ask the question, is defined by what? And I think when you define it as this, is the sacrifice someone's willing to take personally for the greater good of the of the group. Like that is that's a measure of culture. You know, yeah. to what extent is that, and and how is that going to play its way out?
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly right. And then also look at your team that you just described. I mean, I know that those people have been there for a long time and you've, you've been uh, working and developing and learning as a team for a long time. And that, uh, that, that helps as well.
1: Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. You know, and you've met, you've met many of my leadership, uh, our leadership group here at Rock Valley through the years and um, extremely talented, extremely diverse, extremely trusting, you know, and again, that I can't, I can tell you, I mean, if we speak honestly, You know, this was a time we've got. You know, Eric and Randy, who are, you know, our COO and and CFO. You know, we were college buddies, as I think I mentioned last time we spoke, Um, and we treat each other more like family than we probably do business partners. We're, you know, we're sometimes more honest than we should be. So. During the, during this pandemic, there was a point in time where they, you know got a little heated, and a little tension. We had to we had to have kind of a safe word, you know, where we if, if we suddenly stopped listening to each other, um, we had to call a truce and just step away for a while and come back because this was a obviously our meetings went to twice a day. We were coming in on Saturdays and Sundays, you know, that it just got elevated to a whole new level, and and we were maybe spending. Uh, more time than was healthy even for best friends to spend together so yeah. we had to, we had to we had to kind of say okay guys let's uh we'll, let's uh, make sure we step away and and our make sure we continue to be as equally uh, curious as we are candid as we as we try to figure out the answers to these questions we've never had before
0: yes now uh, so you're in Iowa and yeah. for a while you were kind of in the in the zone that wasn't affected as much and and you were kind of looking at it from wow these some of these people are really uh in a in a bigger crisis than we are but just recently uh Iowa has really uh ramped up as a matter of fact i saw something uh 2 days ago that said Ames Iowa and Des Moines Iowa are number 1 and number 3 in the world of infection rate And related to the fact that that's where, uh, the, uh, you know, students are coming back to the colleges at Iowa state and the university of Iowa. So you guys are in the thick of it right now. And, and, um, so you can't, you can't relax.
1: No, no, you really can't. And I think that's, uh, that's really a challenge, right. For all of us is, is to remain as vigilant as we were early on. Um, you know, now because it's just, it is hard. It has been, you know, I, I shared with our team, do these little videos that I was doing with updates every couple of days to start with, and they become less frequent. And I use the analogy of a marathon, and, and, you know, it was easy to say, and it's an easy analogy to do, but man, as anyone that's run a marathon, I'm not one of those crazy people, but those people that do marathons will tell you those last 10 miles are hard, you know, and I don't even know if we're halfway, you know, we're six months into this. I don't know if we're at mile 13 or mile 20, but it starts to get hard, and uh, that's something, you know, Our we have a COVID task committee in the organization that kind of keeps us up to date and appraised on it and just continues to send out reminders that we can't relax, you know, we can't get sloppy. Um, we've certainly had lots of exposures with, um, with team members who have, you know, uh, been outside of work. We're fortunate not to have any that have occurred, you know, within the walls right now, but, um, you know, you just... Like you said, you you can't stop being vigilant. You can't you can't relax uh, until we get till we get some you know better treatment or a vaccine or whatever the answer might be.
0: And with that said, uh, you know there's still more to go. That that's obvious. But uh, what do you think you did right? Um, you know when when this first hit and uh, you know we were all in in um, no man's land. We didn't know what we were doing or, or how to do it. But uh, what do you think you and your team did right?
1: You know, I think yesterday, Steve, I was meeting with one of our young leaders and I was talking to her about something and, and what she shared with me. Again, I think it's better maybe for the people on the outside to tell you what you did right than, than your own reflection. But what she shared with me was uh, how transparent we were and how much we just were very clear from the start of here. here's our north these are the things we're going to operate on we're going to look at how do we take care of people and how do we do it safely and that may change this information was evolving and i think that's the hard part like you know so we changed a lot of things we did early on if you remember like mass were, we were told mass weren't good I, I was trying to get back home from spring break when all this broke out and i sat at the airport and watched a uh, 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 you know someone from American Airlines talk a gentleman out of wearing a mask on the plane home saying that you know right now the best information is that that caused you to touch your face and may cause increased infection so you know if you remember back to those days, that was some of the early information out there and again it's it's I, I don't buy into conspiracy theories. I just think the information was evolving, and as the information evolved, sometimes you got to change your opinion so for us, the frequent communication with the team. I've never done Zoom. You know, I've never done video calls with our team. I don't like to be there talking in front of people all the time. But, you know, what our team said is, Mike, you have to communicate. It has to come from you. It has to be frequent. It has to be open. It has to be transparent. And as you know, that's the only way I know how to lead is by being open and transparent. Sometimes that gets me in a lot of trouble. But I think that that ability to be open, transparent, and willing to change our mind um, as new information emerged. I think is is what allowed us to navigate and allowed the team to trust us that hey tomorrow I might tell you something different than I'm going to tell you today but I'm going to tell you why, and um, that has really allowed us to continue to to change and and evolve and um, as as we get information that we feel is credible that we should be utilizing.
0: Yeah, it's it's in an earlier uh, episode on on this program I talked about how it's interesting now that there's uh, research out there that, that shows that. People trust their employer almost more than they trust anyone else on getting the facts of what's going on in our world. You know that they they can't seem to trust politicians these days. They can't seem to. Uh, you know, trust people it depends on what side of the fence you're on is what, what you're going to hear because we're so polarized. So they look to their companies, they look to where they spend a lot of their time uh, to get their information. And so I think you make a really good point at being transparent with uh, with with your people, and then also just admitting when you don't know, or admitting that you're in new territory, and and we'll work it out together. You don't have to know all the answers, but that transparency I, I also believe is is very important.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, you know that's it, it's the only thing we had during those times. Steve was again our values, our guiding principles of how we do things, um, and then the ability to again wake up every day and and be open to being wrong yesterday. And I think I think when you have that, then you don't get you don't get anchored to something that you have to try to defend um, that may be inconsistent with what your north is or or with what the information most recent information is so i think that's what our team did well um and, and again i see that throughout our organization was, this is not this was certainly not a mike Horsfield effort this was an entire team effort and and i think we had people throughout the organization who were who were just nimble open and i mean our team took 20 percent cut and pay without saying it you know without batting a word and i can you know this is a leadership you know podcast steve and i've learned a lot from you know, you're doing a great job interviewing people on here, and one of my best leaders I ever had a chance to be under was a guy named Gary Larson. He was a hospital CEO, and I remember one day I, I just started off and, um, as as a manager, and he I remember the hospital was going through tough financial times, and he walked into a management meeting and just said, "Guys, here's what's going to happen. You know, you guys I need a, you guys all take a 10% pay cut and and uh, I'm going to take a 50% pay cut and, and, you know, we'll be okay. We're, you know, just had some reimbursement issues with a state payer at that time and said, once we get financially back, I'll make that up to you. We'll get that back to you. Plus, some. And everybody's like, okay. You know, and just walked out of the room. Like there was like, no, like we're in this together. And I remember like watching that and go, man, if I ever get in a position being a leader someday, that's, that's what I would love to see with my team. Like that type of, of, of engagement and and trust in the leadership. And, and again, that was probably one of the moments I was most proud of is when I, when our team responded that way, I was just, I was like, man, that's, that's what we've invested in. You know, that's what we've tried to tried to create as an us mentality. Um, and it, it certainly came through.
0: Yeah. The trust is a huge word. That's just something that, uh, you know, we all really need to to embrace and, and develop. And, and when you have that trust, it, it definitely changes your world. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges that you're seeing that your employees are, are living in their lives right now? What are they struggling with the most? And, and how does that affect how you, you look at trying to help them?
1: It's really uncertainty, Steve. You know, I think, you know, bundled up into one, you know, one whole thing, it's what's tomorrow going to bring. Um, particularly, you know, people with young families right now in the schools, like, you know, they start off in one schedule and day one, it gets changed because there's an exposure at school. And now the kids are gone from a hybrid model to a hundred percent remote and, and they've got childcare issues and, and learning issues. Just how am I going to make sure my child, you know, has the support around them to deal with that. But I think that's the thing people are living in every day is is that uncertainty so again that's what we try to do as a you know as a co-worker of theirs is kind of say hey you know we sent out a survey with all the different scenarios that could be and just say hey if your kids are 100 back in school what's what's the best work schedule for you if if it's a hybrid what's the best and therefore we can look at that and and have all that information ahead of time so if we've got to pivot and adapt to that we can hopefully, you know, meet their needs and and still meet meet our community's needs as far as taking care of them with patients. That and I think the other thing we're all struggling with, Steve, is, is just being around people, right? Um, you know, there was I did some research. this year. One of the things we did during uh, the COVID time was we ramped up our professional development, not only from the clinical care, but we just did some leadership and and just well-being almost continuing ed. And I, they asked me to do a work-life balance talk, and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, what is that? Um, I've never found that in my life, you know, so I'm, I'm going to be the expert on it now. But in doing some research on it, you know, one of the things they find for happiness, one of the strongest correlators with happiness is, is, you know, there's two things. One is do you have your people? Do you have that group of people that you really enjoy and hang out with? And two is a thing that's not intuitive is spontaneous interaction with strangers has been found to be a strong correlation. Yeah. And if you think about today, like there's just no spontaneous interaction with strangers, right? Like there's not the the spontaneous conversation that happens in Starbucks in line or the next to the air, you know, sitting on an airplane talking to a stranger. And they find that even though that like, even those people like myself that tend to fall on the, you know, uh, on a kind of introversion or ambiversion scale is that we find that even though we might not look forward to those interactions, when they occur, we usually leave them feeling better than we did before. And mm. it's, it, I'm finding that I'm really missing that. And a buddy of mine just sent me a New York Times article today that basically says that psychologists are, are showing that now, like people are losing some of their social skills and some of that satisfaction that comes. So we spent time last week just really talking to our leadership team of how do we bring joy back to the workplace? you know, can we bring some levity? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize what we're still going through. Just what we talked about before, right? It's still serious. We still have to take this serious. And at the same time, we got to find some way to bring some joy back to to people's day-to-day
0: interactions. Absolutely. You know, isolation is just, uh, you know, really a tough thing. Uh, My wife, Sharon, uh, lost her mother a few weeks ago. And what she will say is, she was in an assisted living environment, uh, pretty much locked down. And she said the COVID uh, nineteen uh, virus did my mo- my mother did not die of the virus, but she died of the crisis yeah. because she just lost that you know the, the one thing that she really had going, which was interaction with people and very social and uh, visits from family and. And when that's gone, uh, someone late in their years it's it's you can just see the ramifications of that and and I think it it happens to all of us in in different levels of uh, intensity, yeah, oh that's sorry to hear that
1: Steve and and uh you know so what do you what do you I mean I've been thinking about that a lot what's the right answer there because I think we're sometimes given false choices, right We're like stay away from people in the nursing home and keep them safe or go in there and risk you know infection. And I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if those are fair choices.
0: Yeah, no, I I think you're exactly right. It's like, yeah, you, you make the decision, oh, okay, we're going to save the lives of these elderly people, but then, uh, the last little bit of their lives is miserable. You know, so it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we, we have the same argument when we think about, uh, you know, spending so much money in the last 30 or 60 days of a patient's lives, just trying to save them when uh, we we torture them, you know so it's it's yeah. like you know you just you just wonder uh, those are tough tough choices and I, I I don't think that's an easy answer, and I think that you know um obviously we we, we want to protect our population, uh, but there are some things that maybe are, are worth uh you know taking a risk. I, I think the bigger question in this exact crisis though is how do how to uh protect our, 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 our fellow beings in a broader sense. So, you know, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, what can I do to help the greater good? And I think that's the biggest concern because if this thing spreads like crazy and and we do let down our guard, then, then it gets out of control and then we're in a a world of hurt. So definitely got to find the balance. And I don't think just letting your guard down because, uh, you know, we, we want to, uh, you know, solve the things we just talked about on an individual level, we do have to look at the greater good too, which is is the tougher decision.
1: Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think we have to, you know, answer that fundamental question, right? I think that we all ask is what do we owe each other? And I, and I think that that spans many different, many different subjects. and, And this would be, you know, with what's going on right now, that's certainly a question I think that I would, I would love to see discussed in a more open, you know, um, less polarized (laughs) uh, environment, right? Like just what is it that we owe each other? Because you got your, you've got Sharon's mom there on one side and, and then, you know, you've got other people who are, you know, completely reckless in their behaviors and somewhere in the middle there is the answer, but it's a difficult question.
0: Yeah. And I think we just have to, yeah, it's a tough one to look at, but you have to realize that even if I'm, uh, young and, and less, um, uh, you know, have, have less chance of getting super sick. Uh, but, but I also have to look at my actions, you know, uh, creating a bigger problem for more people. And that's hard yeah. to do because obviously in this country, we were brought up to believe that, uh, we're a free society and we can do what we want to do. And, 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 but, but then there becomes, you have to have a bit of a group mentality too, to say, you know, what, what, what's best for everyone. And, and, uh, yeah. that's a step that people need to take in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, and
0: I agree. I think
1: there is a balance there. You know, we all agree to drive on the right side of the road for that same reason, right? It right. kind of makes us all safer. <laughs> so I, I appreciate our freedoms, but I also appreciate that sometimes agreeing on certain things uh, pro- provides a good to all of us and we're all better off and in, in getting some consensus around some things that make sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about, uh, you know, you're very involved in the private practice section and uh you sat on the board um and now i uh, i know that you're running for the president of uh, pps coming up uh, uh voting starts uh very soon uh so the election will be in uh, early november i believe and uh so i just want to ask you some things about that and and let's start with uh, the creation of the peer-to-peer program now i know that that was a bit of your brainchild and, and so maybe for our listeners, you can just explain a little bit about what that is and, and what the experience has been since it started.
1: Yeah, thanks, Steve. Yeah. Peer to peer has been, been just such a, an unbelievable uh, experience for me and rewarding as it's gone. It, it started about five years ago and, and it came with a guy, you know, a guy you just interviewed Jeff Ostrowski and I were serving on the education committee for PPS and we we're sitting around the table one night and Jeff's from Philly. I being from Iowa, we see the world sometimes differently, which is why I love him. And, uh, and I told him, that, you know, I'd really like him to serve on my board because he understands our business. Um, but yet he doesn't have any, you know, interest in it. And we've been together forever, you know, our leadership team and, love some new ideas. And, and Jeff just looked at me and said, you know, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would I want to do that? Like, I have no interest in it. And we just, we kind of laughed, but we came up with, you know, we kind of batted this around and what we realized in, in having discussions further was that there was as CEOs, Stephen, you've known this from your time at, at TAI, it can be very lonely being a CEO.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: And uh and the other thing is you don't have you don't have really sometimes a group to hold you accountable to. And so we thought, you know what, let's create some groups. Let's of like you know practices, non-competing where we can do both support each other and hold each other accountable. And for me, you know, I'm so blessed because of the the leadership team and the group I said I have around me is like I get to share my successes and my challenges with them. But particularly, I felt bad for those, you know, those practice owners that are doing it all by themselves or they don't have that team around them. And so we created kind of a a pilot group at first. We kind of handpicked some people um, and we brought them together. It was absolutely the right group because that group has really been the brainchild behind the rest of the evolution and the development of of peer to peer. So we started with a pilot group. I think we had two groups of five or six, and now we've expanded. We're getting close to 200, you know, CEOs of uh, of um, practices, uh, big and small, across the country that get together, share with each other, you know, what's keeping them awake at night, um, what are they what are they really proud of, and and again, you know, Steve, you came on this year, and I'd be curious on. On your perspective of kind of what you've seen in, um, with peer-to-peer compared to like some of the other groups I know you've been involved with that are similar mastermind concepts.
0: Yeah, for those who don't know, I came on to the peer-to-peer program as one of the co-facilitators to help the groups uh, continue to evolve and and hopefully improve. And what I've experienced is is just that you know the feeling alone and not feeling like you have all the answers and and how can I uh, really ask the tough questions or how do I get over the imposter syndrome that a lot of leaders have. <laughs> and so this this mastermind concept that you put together in peer to peer is really, really effective because what it does, it allows you to get super close with, you know, five to seven people that you know and you build up trust over time and then you can be vulnerable you can say yeah. you can tell this group i have no idea what to do or i really screwed up uh, what can i do to make it right and and you can be vulnerable to those people on a much deeper level than you can with the people that you're leading so um it's it's a very powerful thing uh you you're, you are aware that i was uh, in a in a group like that uh that helped me immensely uh, to become a better CEO, I think, is, is a group called Vistage, which uh, isn't specific to healthcare. It's uh, all industries. And, and I was in that for seven and a half years. And I really, really learned a lot from those people and, and really uh, thought it was a very valuable lesson. So the fact that this has been created now in the private practice section for private practice uh, PT owners is is really good. And and uh, here I'm sounding like I'm selling the program, but I am because it's so damn good. Uh, you know, you just, uh, if you're not in it, you should be because I'll, I'll guarantee you that there's probably 90% plus of people that are in it think it's the best thing they've ever done, the best thing that the section's ever provided. So uh, uh, yeah. kudos to you and Jeff for uh, getting this off the ground and making it work because I think its it's been embraced and, and people are really finding value in it.
1: Well, thank you, Steve. And, and, you know, Randy Rausch, who was kind of, was our first facilitator um, has really been helpful. Like I said, we've had almost too many people to name, Carrie from PPS now helping with the logistics. Um, it's, it's been a team effort, like every good, um, every good thing that comes about is a, is a team effort, but I, I just want to, you know, my, my completely biased, obviously, I've got a pride of authorship here that that I can't overcome, but, the vulnerability that you mentioned. Um, It's the first time for me that I've ever had a group that truly just understood me and they get you like, these are people that are doing the same thing you do. So you walk in almost with this immediate connection because you're all living the same life. You're all have the same problems. You all under, like you immediately understand each other. And I think where our group like took, the deep dive is initially, you know, you, you don't, you want to have a little bit of that false self of yours out there. Like, Hey, look at how good I am and look at what I built and, you know, look at all these cool things I'm doing, but where, where this thing took a turn for us, for me personally, that was just amazing is when we really started talking about what we suck at and, and we really bared our souls on like, I'm not good at this and I struggle at this. And, 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 man, we've, we've had tears almost every meeting and we got such a diverse, I mean, our group is so diverse. I mean, you know, we've every type of leader is there. and And that's the thing I can't stress enough. And I learned from this group is there is no one type of best leader. Like these people are all great leaders and they couldn't be more different in how they lead. And that's so cool to be able to see that. And also to be able to see how everybody's, everybody struggles with something and that's okay. You know, it's okay. You're not going to be perfect with everything. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I I could go on and on about what, you know, how much this group has meant to me, um, on the leadership journey, but every leadership lesson carries over to life. Right.
0: Absolutely. So, you know,
1: so we talk about that being vulnerable and, you know, if it, I think one of the things that made me, I, I read this book called reboot, um, which somewhere like when you get to the point where you say, man, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. And I don't say that in a way of complacency, but in a way that you don't have to pretend to be somebody you're not,
0: then you can really make progress. Right. And that's and then the good groups that you're talking about in peer to peer or any of these mastermind organizations, uh, the BS radar is very strong. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what, if you're BSing somebody, someone just calls you out and say, "You know what, that is not who you are. That is not what 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 yeah. you need to be saying right now. Be real and, you know, get your, get 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 it together." And I think that yeah. being held accountable like that, uh, we can all use some of that uh reality check once in a while.
1: Oh, amen. Amen. And, and I say, amen. And I kind of chuckle because, you know, one of the things they called me out is, you know, one of the things for us as a company, we never really ran really hard operations, in, you know, and so our financials were always okay, but not great. And, you know, I used to hide behind the, well, I feel guilty. You know, if we'd make money, I kind of feel guilty about it. And finally, the, our guys just called me out like, that's bullshit, Mike, that's your excuse. That's not the reason. Yeah. Be a better leader, would you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and so, so, so when you when you've got people that you, you respect that much, that that uh, you trust that much to be able to be that honest with you, like that's a that's a great that's a great group to have around you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what what do you think the future of private practice PT businesses are? I mean, you run a pretty large organization in, in the private practice world, and and there's a lot of you know one. Uh, one location sites out there of, of businesses and and there's a lot in between and and then there's some you know big huge corporate ones too so what well, what do you think the what do you think the future of 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 our profession is in this this area
1: you know i like the chances steve and so you know i, I look at this and it's easy to get kind of down in the weeds or get down even on what's happening. And when you look at Medicare making X percent cut and this happening and that happening, and you know, but I've been around guys like you, not to say you're old, Steve, I'm not <laughs> applying that, but you, <laughs> you, you were, you, you know, I got you guys took me under your wing, uh, Early on, and, and let me hang out with you guys for a while. And and when I would overreact to to cha- environmental changes, you'd always say, "Hey, we've been through this before. Don't you remember the Balanced Budget Act? Don't you remember this?" Like, you know. And, and the more you see of this, you realize that's just that's the environment; it's ever changing. But there's really no challenge that's we haven't seen before, it's specifically to our industry. And so I'm optimistic about the future. And one of the reasons, if I just look at that purely economically, like there's a lot of private equity money still coming into our profession, right? (laughs) Private equity can put their money any place. So they still like the future of of our profession as it relates to business and the viability of a business, okay? So on that scale, I always use that as my kind of looking up at the flag to see which way the wind's blowing, right? And then you gotta bring it down closer to home. And when I bring it down closer to home, through peer-to-peer and having served kind of on the COVID advisory task force, what you realize is it's really hard. You know, private practices are – it's hard running the business. And and I think that's true of any business, but when you're in a regulated business like we are where there's lots of rules and they're ever-changing and we're trying to take care of patients and then we've got all this paperwork and and rules and regulations, compliance to do on the other side – at some point, you you know, people start asking themselves, like, is it worth it, right? I I think most practice owners, you know, PT-wise, they get into it because they think there's a better way to take care of people, right? Like, that's like, hey, I want to take care of people the way I want to take care of it, and the way I can do that is I can own my own business, and I think, you know, that's how, that's why I've always wanted to be in practice and in a leadership role is, you know, uh, I want to make the rules because I want to do it a certain way, and that's because I want to take care of people the way, the right way. Um, So, I think it's, I think it's getting harder, but I think there's opportunity to make it easier. I think we can make it easier. I think I'm finding in peer to with the talking to people in peer to peer, helping some um practices with that as well as the COVID task force, like we're recreating the wheel a lot. And I think there's I believe there's some some real advantages of us working together to make it easier for all of us to run our businesses. And we, you know, Rock Valley, we did that with kind of creating Midwest therapy network with some of our friends here uh, in Iowa. And I can see us just kind of scaling some of those concepts um, such that we, you know, we can spend, we can be as passionate as we want and spend our time during the week, uh, you know, in our businesses, hanging out with our patients and our coworkers, but, we got to, we got to give practice owners. If we want private practice to survive, we've got to give private practitioners their weekends back with their families.
0: Yeah. So the, uh, 80 or hundred hour work week, uh, yeah. you know, isn't sustainable for the long haul. So
1: it's not, it's not sustainable. And, and, you know, I was having a conversation, Steve, you know, we're working on transitioning our company, trying to keep it legacy like you guys have done at TAI. And I was having a conversation with, uh, with a, an ESOP advisor the other day, just that's one of the, the uh, concepts or, or models that we're exploring. and he was talking about dental and a big dental ESOP he worked with and talking about how the ownership of of Dennis isn't the same this generation as the last. you know, every dentist come out thirty years ago owning their own. Site was expected, right? Like that was just what you did. Um, I don't. We've never had that at PT, but I'd love for us to change that mindset. But again, in order to do that, we've got to make it easier. We've got to make it uh, a little, the barrier to entry easier, um, if that makes sense, um, so that it, it's not quite as quite as hard for people to go out there own their businesses, so they can they can kind of make a difference in their community the way they think it should be done.
0: Right, and I think that also goes to what I believe in which i 've always believed in, is this uh, level of collaboration and you can do it in yeah. a lot of different ways I mean you can um, you know there 's acquisitions and mergers and all those kind of things that that work for some people and not maybe not for others, but at the very least to work together in networks or to work yeah. together, um, you know just helping each other be better at what you do and I, and I do think that sometimes we, we get too competitive and, and we don't want to share anything uh, with anybody else. And we get that isolation thing that we're talking about uh, before in our own little practice. And I don't think that's good for the profession. I think the more that we can work together and collaborate in whatever way uh, suits your, your needs the best and your your community's needs the best, I think is the way of the future for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
1: I think it's, I think it's
0: taken away. You know, Steve, I think the The
1: right model, and I don't know exactly how it all winds out, but, again, the people know what their communities need most, right? So, again, those decisions that impact that community and how you take care of people, absolutely, those things should be done with the information there. It's going to lead to the best decisions. That's my belief all the time is, like, again, the people closest to the problem usually have the answer if you provide them with the information they need and you trust them. And so that decision making should occur there. But there's a lot of other stuff: the contracting, the credentialing, the just think of the the, the policies of uh, procedure manual. Like no one out there, you know, in small town Iowa, saying, "Man, what I really love about running a practice is is every year updating my policy and procedure manual and looking at the new rules and regulations and putting all the edits in my software." Like right? Yeah. Like 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 I I just I don't hear a lot of that. Um, they say, I just really want to take care of my so somehow how can we how can we come together? Um, and I think the private practice section is a great vehicle to come together in a larger scale to take care of some of the stuff so people can really get back to to spending their time with patients. I, I think we know we talk about payment a lot. I think administrative burdens are greatest threat.
0: Yeah. Like no, if no if,
1: doubt. if if you put me if you put me in the back room and just let me take care of patients all day, like I can make this work. Right. But you, you make me spend in, you know, 30, you know, if I have to spend 15 minutes for every 30 minute administrative burden for every 50, 30 minutes I spend with a patient, like I can't make that work for very long um, or I don't end up with another part, you know, balanced life. And so I think that's where the opportunity lies. Um, and I I just uh, you know, one of the questions we ask here at Rock Valley all the time, Steve, is how do we make it easier to take better care of more people? And I don't know if that's the only question to ask, but man, it addresses, you know, easier administrative burden, more time with patients, you know, better care. How do we how do we take care of our communities better? Wow. And then growth as the is the last part of more, right? If I make it easier and it's better, the market's going to produce more for us.
0: Yeah, and I think it, what you're saying is just you have an open mind and realize that you don't have all the answers, and that's where collaboration and working together comes in. And then the final piece I would say is quit judging each other for things like, yeah. oh, don't do that, and that's wrong, and you can't do I mean, you know, be open to some things, and what works for you may not work for somebody else, but, uh, you know, take the judgment cap off, and just, you know, um, you might learn something if you have a little more of an open mind.
1: Yeah. I,
0: where does that come
1: from, Steve? Why are we different as a profession? I, I, I look only, you know, again, I'm follow mostly people, PTs and social media stuff. And I'm just amazed that I would think if somebody looks from the outside in our profession, they would think, holy God, these guys don't like each other very much. Um, but I'm not sure if every, if, if accountants are sitting around doing that as well, or if it's just us.
0: Well, I think competition is everywhere in the world and that can be good or bad, depending on how you look at it. I do think it kind of comes from the fact that we, we all got into physical therapy because we wanted to help people and help our communities and, and do more of kind of that, uh, that, that social giving type of thing. And so, uh, you said it earlier, but mixing business in that, um, is 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 scary, or or feels conflicting sometimes, and yeah. uh, I mean that goes all the way to um, you know the the Medicare for all approach, or or you know uh, uh, referral for profit, and, and all those kind of things get muddied in there. Uh, but but the bottom line is, you know, if if you provide a great service and and you take care of your people, uh, you, you know you you provide a great work environment for those that that you lead, and you do it well. Um, I, I think the money will follow, and, and I think there there needs to be some money there because that's what keeps the good people in the profession. So, um, yeah. you know, there's definitely a, a road there. Uh, but I do get frustrated when people judge others for decisions they make that uh, may be the perfect decision for for that that group of people. And uh, who are we to judge whether that's that's the best or not?
1: Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. We've got a really technical factor for that. We call here, we call it the icky factor. You know, again, as we as we look at collaborations, you know, we really look at it through just again, can can it pass the smell test of what feels icky? Again, do we believe in patient's choice? Patients should have a choice to go wherever. So does this collaboration still lead to patient's choice. Does it, you know, does it deliver great care? Does it give the P do we have the autonomy over the care and we don't have a hospital administrator or, or a physician telling us that this is the, you know, how you have to take care of these people. And again, can we do what the patient needs and can we bill them for what we do? Like that's our, that's our, that's our stress test every time. And again, whether that's a, you know, whether we're entering into a, employee lease agreement with a hospital or a management service agreement with a physician group. Like we're open to those collaborations, but we got to have shared values. And I think those, those questions help us pressure test that partner to see if they believe in the same things we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you think the crisis that we've, that we're in right now, do you think it's exposed any weak spots specific to PT businesses?
1: I think what I'm, what we're seeing, Steve, with when we look at some of the data and I talked to some people across the country, is that those those practices that have a really a direct to consumer approach, you know, that they are really retail, right? Like they are their primary care, they're retail, those practices have bounced back really well. Um, and again, I'm saying this in generalities. I think we'll find an exception to every rule here. But I think in generalities, those that rely on a lot of referrals or other things and don't don't have this constant communication with their patients um, aren't seeing the bounce back quite as, quite as uh, fast. Um, and again, that's, you know, geographically <laughs> balanced. Obviously, you know, our friend Dan Rutenberg in, in New York City, you know, they haven't, you know, New York hasn't bounced back like Iowa has, right? We're This is one of the times where it's really, we're fortunate to have lots of acres and very few people. You know, that's just the nature of this, the pandemic we're going through versus, you know, a heavily populated area like there. But I think that's, I think if it's shown us anything, it's like, man, you better stay in touch with your patients. They better, they, we have a gentleman in our practice that, you know, Marty Youngs is a guy that joined our practice and and Marty used a term that just stuck with us, and it was called, he's like, Well, yeah. I mean, we were like, Marty, how do you get people to keep coming back? And everybody wants to see you. He goes, Mike, you got to be relevant. Right. Like they call me because I'm relevant in their life, right? Like we all have people who are relevant. Like, hey, something, my car's making a noise. Who are you going to call? Well, I've got Paul, you know, Paul, my mechanic, I'll call and say, Hey, Paul, this is making a noise, right? So your PT has to be that first person when something, when your, your body starts doing something that you don't like that you go, you know, what? I I better call, you know, I better call Susie. She's, she's my relevant person when it comes to this. And so, again, I think that's what I mean by direct to consumer, that you are that person's PT. And if you're not, um, I think that's being exposed right now.
0: I heard a great story uh relating to that uh during this crisis where and you may know who it is but uh somebody just decided, geez, we've got a lot of staff and we're really slow because it's it's basically been shut down. So they just started calling patients on their past patient list and basically yeah. just said, "How you doing?" Uh, are you moving? You know, this is a time when you're stuck inside, so we want to make sure you keep moving. Is there anything we can do? And then they even went so far as to say, do you need groceries? We'll go get you some groceries. We'll do whatever. And it was just a, you know, a reach out to help your fellow community member and, and to help, help your community and, and just have that touch point with patients. And um, you know, those things, those things are not forgotten. Those go a long way.
1: I don't know. And yeah i mean that's exactly what we're talking about steve you got to be relevant in your communities i mean i think what we do is physical therapy right but really you know again our tagline is making better lives as a company and and that's what we're about so what do you need what can we help with um i think that's i we just so much needed (laughs) and pts have that heart right i mean you have that heart so i think you know for us i think the the only you know like it's it's our job as leaders in this in this profession to not take that away like that's in there so if your team's not doing that like that's not because it wasn't there it's because for some reason how you're managing or administrating has taken away that heart and we got to find a way to to embrace that and and to leverage that into you know just making our communities better places because of us that's one of the metrics that i can't i haven't found the right I haven't found the right way to measure that yet. Is how you know, can you measure that your community was actually better off because your business was there? Like that's ultimately right how we should measure success. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah. measure I can measure Oswestry, but that seems really insignificant, right? But if I help somebody with their back pain so they can become a more productive part of society and that leads to this and leads to that, and the community goes, wow, we were better. Because Rock Valley was here, like we wouldn't be the same community. And I would love to be able to measure that. I keep talking to our chair of our philanthropic committee just about like, come on let's find this, let's find this measure so that we can go for it. And I may never find it, but I think it's a worthwhile pursuit.
0: Well, here's what you need to know, Mike, you analytical types, you can't measure everything. <laughs> you got to go with your gut. You got to go with the feel and sometimes you can't measure it. So, uh, but I, I, um, what you're saying is right on because, uh, uh, you know, you may not be able to measure it, but you sure know it when you feel it. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no,
0: it's, it's what we're here for. So now you're running for PPS president, like uh, we mentioned earlier. So uh, um, what do you think needs to change in the private practice section? What do you think, uh, what do you want to try and lead towards?
1: I think a lot of, you know, there's, there's so many good things that have happened, Steve, you know, and having served on the board, I have an appreciation for, uh, for the work that the board does, the association uh, does, and you certainly have led the led the association. So I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on this as well. Um, you know, again, I think it's more collaboration. I think we've got to, we've got to lock arms. Um, things get done, uh, you know, simplify it. I think things get done, Steve, either through collaboration or coercion. Uh, and so I prefer to collaborate if we can and get things done. And I think there's a lot of things we can do where, with each other, where we can be willing collaborators. I think there's some, you know, if we get towards payment and advocacy, you know, I'd love to find people that are willing to collaborate and find things we have shared interest in, and, I, and I'm optimistic about that. We've had some calls with our peer-to-peer group with some, some pretty influential people in payer and payer groups um, that seem to be open to it. Again, we'll see if we, you know, as we progress down that path, if that's truly the case. Um, but then the other thing is, I think we have to have strategy to exercise some leverage if if we need to. Like I think on some of the payment and other things, I I think the grassroots effort has been great um, with the key contacts. And so how do we grow membership? How do we such that we have more influence? That's that's one of the things. And I think it's it's a combination of providing some of the resources that makes it easier for people. So um, I think there's I, I'd like to look at it. I'd like to look at the section from the business perspective also and say, how do we make it uh, more inviting? How do we make it, how do we lower dues? How do we create other revenue sources um, that opens up the membership to new members um, with more ideas? Cause that's where it comes from. You know, that's where the great ideas come from is the ideas and, and with AEH, uh, who now is is kind of helping manage and run the association, I think there's resources there um, that we can that we can utilize. Some of it is vision. Some of it is really grand ideas on on revenue streams, and some of it is just kind of, I think, setting some of the structure and the discipline in place. Um, I've never, I've been a shiny object guy most of my life, and I think in growing an organization, I now really, really appreciate how much discipline um, enhances creativity instead of stifles it. Right, so you know, making sure we discipline the thought process, we discipline the decision making, and then we operationalize uh, things so that the board can really spend its time on the vision and the direction, and that the and that the you know Carrie and her team right now can really focus on kind of the execution of it. Um, That's a really big grand scheme of it, uh, of what I envision, but um, I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about the opportunity to take where we're at and kind of move it to a, a
0: whole new level. Well, that's that's great. I mean, I, I think you're right. It's We just have to realize that these national associations and the section specifically that we're talking about here, I mean, they're volunteer organizations, and yeah. you just can't do it exactly the same way you would do in your own company. Uh, but I think the more that we can collaborate and share and just uh, – uh, be willing to, to, to give without uh, the expectation of necessarily getting something uh, back immediately in return. Uh, that kind of culture, I think, will just create a a value for people. And I think PPS has done a, a great job of that. And and again, to plug the peer-to-peer thing, I think that's really, really done a great job of doing that. So I think you're on the yeah. right track. And I think things are, are, are going well. And uh, I agree. I think there's a, a good future for private practice. Uh as long as we uh you know don't try and do everything the way we used to, there's new and innovative yeah. way, ways i i I love the idea that on the on the far side of this pandemic, how can I visualize my job as being different than it was before and being more yeah. effective? I think with that kind of a mindset, I think um you know there's still a lot to come that uh maybe we don't see right now, but uh what will become um uh you know valuable in the future,
1: yeah yeah i I couldn't agree more steve there it is it does present an opportunity, doesn't it for us to just sit back and and look at that and I think as the section um it also poses that you know I think you asked me kind of what does what does this time expose for Rock Valley and the profession? I think the section has seen some of that as well um some things that you know the you know the people on the board right now have worked so hard and and we owe them such a debt of gratitude for for the hard work they put in this year. It, it was, uh, it became a, a full-time job for some of them, you oh, know, that were goodness. really working hard. And so I think that's one of the things that, again, it exposes, how do you, how do you create the infrastructure and the system such that if there is trial and tribulation in the future, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't demand so much out of the volunteers. And at the same time that, man, you want the volunteers functioning at the top of their capacity, right? These are ta- a talented group of people that serve on the board and, and you want them spending their time solving those interesting problems I talked about and not in the weeds doing you know the work. And I think that's where the partnership with AH and and the board and, and you just get that ground set so that year after year, new ideas can enter through the through election the of the board members and, and we can just continue to kind of Move towards that bright future that you, that both you and I believe there is for our profession.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it, yeah, I should just give a plug for PPS here too. As a member, uh, what the task force did and what the board did to really help people through this crisis was absolutely amazing. I think that the amount of information that was on there and the amount of things that were offered, um, I think, really, really helped. That really showed to me that the value of being a member of that section, I think, really made a huge difference. So uh, congratulations to you and your cohorts for uh, providing that for a lot of people who really, really needed it. So, yeah, well, thank you, Steve. You know, Mike, at, at this point in the interview, uh, you know, I always ask this question. So, um, uh give us a pearl of wisdom in relation to leadership that we can uh, take away from this interview.
1: Oh, my pearl of the week, Steve. I try to learn one every week. What what's the what's the one I'm thinking of most? I think the one that stuck with me for the past few weeks, I think um is as a leader, um Again, there's an evolution that occurs, and I'm—I don't know where I am in the process, but I'm, I hope I'm not done towards—I hope I'm not to the end because I've got so much more to learn. But I think the idea of insight versus advice—that's something that has really hit me lately—is I've done a lot more coaching. I know you do some coaching um, as well with your Orange Dad and uh, coaching, and and I just. What I've realized that I did wrong for so many years is try to give people the answers, the advice to the problem they're going through. And what you find out is that it's kind of self-serving to some extent because they keep coming back to you, right? Like now they got another problem, and now you get to help them with that, and, and that's kind of rewarding. You know, hey, I get to help. I feel useful. But I think the real answer from leadership is to help people be more insightful how they can solve their own problems. And so there's a couple of questions. You know, if you're getting the theme. as I ask more questions than I give answers to these days, Stephen. the question is, someone comes to me with something, you know, insight looks like this. It looks like when you ask them, like, when's the last time you had a problem like this and what did you do then? How did that go? What did you learn from it? What could have gone better? what did you expect to happen that didn't happen? What happened that you didn't expect to happen? It's, it's questions like that, that start to get people to connect the dots. on like, Oh, even though the situation is different, I have encountered this problem before and I did find a way to solve it. And, and that insight over advice is, uh, has, has just really created, I think, uh, well, one, it's created less work for me because people don't come to me as often. Maybe that's because I don't give them answers. Maybe, I don't, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on why the reason people aren't coming to me anymore, but it is fun to watch people discover um, their answers to the problem because sometimes their answers, many times their answers are better than the ones I would give them. And so, you know, that that ability to help someone else on their leadership journey um, grow and have insight into uh solving their problems. Um, it's just, it's, it's really been rewarding for me and I wish it's a, a lesson. I wish I would have known a long time ago.
0: Well, that's very well said. And I think you highlighted what I tell most of my clients too, is the greatest leadership tool you have is to ask the questions and ask the right questions. And so, uh, I think that's very well said. Well, thanks, Mike. I sure appreciated, uh, uh our discussion today and, and good luck uh, with your, uh, with your campaign and and running for PPS president and uh, uh, thanks for all you do for the profession. And, and I I know there's many, many people out there that are thankful that you've been willing to share and collaborate and help them through their business struggles as well. So thanks so much. And uh, um, I appreciate your time and uh, we'll see you down the road.
1: Yeah. Thanks for your kind words, Steve. It's always good to be with you. Take care.
0: Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of profiles and leadership. To listen to all my interviews, subscribe to Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and many other popular podcast platforms. Some of these interviews are on video, and you can search YouTube for Profiles in Leadership with Steve Anderson. You can also access the entire library of interviews on my website, orange.coaching.com, and that is orange word.coaching.com, and go to the Media Center and click on Podcasts or Video Gallery. You can also enter the website from pilpodcast.com.